So the average woman leaves her house using 12 different products and being exposed to over 126 different chemicals, cancer-causing chemicals before she leaves the house. Now, she doesn't know any of this. And guys aren't far behind. Guys are just under 90. So what happens is we have people walking around as a science experiment for all of these cancer-based carcinogens that we know will cause cancer not today, but 10 years from now. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hello. Welcome back to Almost 30, everybody. Welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. You don't need to be anywhere around or near 30 to be here. (laughs) And we're so so glad. (laughs) Just so you know. We're happy you're here. Happy you're here. We were just shaking it out. I don't know if you guys are... Shake it out. Have shooketh thyself out today. But we were just talking about like releasing energy, how we were in New York and walking around so much and it felt so good. I am in my my bathroom now. If the bathroom has... goes to the to the floor, the doors, I jump around now in the bathroom and I wiggle and I jump around yeah. and I just move a lot of energy, especially when I'm on flights. It's like my new thing is I'll stretch in the cabin, which, you know, the staff love. They yeah, love they when love. I'm back there stretching. They, you know, they ask they for like tips a full wheel. Advice. They like and, a full wheel in the aisle. Honestly. <laughs> Supported bridge. I'm doing cropos back there. <laughs> I stretch out there, but then when I'm in the stall, I'll jump around and really just like move and shake it. And they're like, what's happening? <laughs> honestly, they're like, is she okay? They're like, oh no, more mile high clubbers. And it's just me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes such a difference. Trampoline I, helps too. Trampoline. You got to get a tramp. I put my music on in the morning and I just like, yeah. <laughs> Justin was, he's been having a hard time at work. So for mm-hmm. just for anyone that's new to the podcast, um, I'm Krista Williams. This is Lindsay Simsek. And I have a fiance, Justin, that I live with. And we, he was having a really hard time on Friday. He was really angry. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really interesting to see him manage his emotions because he's usually so calm and he's a huge empath. And so when he feels bad feelings, he's very, he really tries to escape them. He's not very good at sitting in his feelings. So he was very angry about, you know, some things that are happening at work and just felt very, you know, upset. And we got him on the trampoline and he was like talking through his anger and he was just like bouncing a little on the trampoline. And it was like just a great way to move, you know, all that right through him. As he was talking it through. Yeah. For some reason, like physicality, even if it's just taking a walk and talking to someone, there's like a distraction thing that's happening where your body's doing something and you're able to, like you said, kind of move through it rather than like sitting there stagnant and having the thoughts just fucking bounce around like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, your thing is, you know, your immediate inclination is um, naturally is to pace. If you're really angry, you know, your body naturally wants to move through it and to pace. So, 
you know, it was just kind of cool to like walk him through and do that. And I'll, I'll do that now too. And Trey's trying to find other ways, you know, whenever you have a thought or feeling and you're kind of just trying to shake it off physically to, to keep it moving. Totally. That must be scary when like, because he is so even and then to have like emotions come through that are like troubling or frustrating, what have you, that must be like kind of a shock to his system. You know what I mean? Because he is so chill. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Yeah. He's so- So He must get freaked out in a way. Like what the fuck? He's very, very relaxed and chill. It's just hard to watch someone that isn't comfortable in that state. Yeah. And not yeah. a lot of people are being comfortable are comfortable being angry or comfortable being upset or violent not violated but just in that state of mm-hmm. um and he's he's very not comfortable in that state. I am more so. I've definitely anger I don't express it as much as I should, but I've been angry a lot through my life. So I'm actually comfortable in anger. I'm uncomfortable in different things, but for him it's very uncomfortable. So it, he really he's uncomfortable and then he's triggered because he doesn't know what to do with it. And he doesn't really know how to be in that state. And it's not a comfortable state for him and him being an only child, you know, he has grown up really alone. Like his parents are amazing and incredible, but he had to process and digest a lot of emotions on his own. So I don't think that he ever really found a place that he could really express and share, Mm. you know, the different feelings that he was going through within his life. So I'm kind of working with him now, you know, that he doesn't know that. He doesn't know this. <laughs> You're doing a little uh, fiance judo. Honestly, it's my little, <laughs> he's my little patient. <laughs> and I'm trying to just help him move through that and be more yeah. comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. And and the noticing of, and the reminding of, because he's had other periods in his life, especially as it relates to his career, where this uncomfortability and this anger and this resentment really propelled him into doing what he loves now, you know? So it's that reminder too. And that's what relationships are. Mm-hmm. It's the reminder of the reason and the reminder of things that when you are upset, they, it can get clouded and you're not able to clearly see the purpose behind it. You know, if you're not in it, you can look above. So it's just helping him with that. Yeah. And I'm sure it really helps. Cause I think in my experience, at least with my brother, like when he would get angry, he would be almost like ashamed of getting angry around me. Cause I'm a girl and he didn't want to freak me out or so for me to really be kind of like the tree stuff, the tree and just be like, you're like that with everyone though. Yeah. I've gotten really, I've gotten good at it and it feels good to be that, but like just to allow him to, if he needs to fucking yell, if he needs to punch a pillow, if he needs to cry, if he needs to whatever, and then it passes and he, and it felt safe. Cause I think guys deal with shame around like that big expression, whether it's anger or sadness. So for you to like hold space for that and have him like work through it without you being like, yo, what the fuck is your, what's yeah. wrong with you? You know, it's, I think that's a really important piece when dealing with, you know, someone that you're really close to because it just gives them the space to actually work through it and let it go without the added layer of, oh God, what Judgment. are people thinking of me right now? Yeah. He, we, I was like, I suggested, I'm like, you should scream in a pillow. And that freaked him out. He was like, oh, like thinking about, <laughs> I don't think Jesse can he, ever he'd scream. He'd be like, ah. Oh. He, he literally, because I'll go, go like this. When you're on the trampoline, I'm like, go, ah. And I'll like, you know, I'll, I'll do a release. And he, it's like, he's like flat footed with, he's like, ah. Oh. <laughs> he doesn't know how to do it. I'm like, you got to let it out always. But uh-huh. we're working on that too. 
Oh, in, in my um, uh, healing sessions with uh, Laura Elliott, mm-hmm. the, the healer here in LA, uh, Laura Elliott Healing, um, she does Reiki Meridian Therapy. She's amazing. She's married to David Elliott, the breathwork coach. But within her sessions, she has you scream into pillows and scream into blankets. And it's just a really nice way. Even if you don't, I don't, I, a lot of times I don't have an emotion that I'm attaching to the scream, mm-hmm. but it feels really good to just do it because it's not something that we do normally. Oh yeah. Inside voices. Inside voices. Yeah. It feels so good. Damn. This episode's sponsored by Outdoor Voices. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Inside voices, outside voices. Yeah. And we just keeping on the theme of of releasing and all of that, we had a really special event. Not even event. Event sounds like immersion workshop. It it was a ceremony. It was literally like We've never done something like this before. We've done a lot of different things through our our life of almost 30 in the last three years, but we did a divine feminine reawakening. We called it awakening, but Josie during the ceremony, Josie of 11 Healing and Felicity Weston, both who are healers and uh, light workers and they she mentioned, she's like, it's really a reawakening because we we've had it all along and we've known it all along, but it's really like getting back in touch with that that sacred womb that everyone has, you know, everyone has that womb space. It was a six hour ceremony. I call Amigos Ranch in uh, Malibu, our favorite place. And wow, we had 20 women show up and I, I don't even get nervous anymore about who's going to show up because it's always just divine. It's actually divine. And I felt that immediately when I met everyone, but especially in the, beginning of the ceremony, we did a sharing circle of sorts and it was really profound. It like literally, we were in a circle and everyone's sharing and intention one by one just kind of connected us all. And it was like this fucking solid loop of power by the end of that sharing circle. And I just felt so safe. And, and so like, I think I said it there. I was like, I'm in love with everybody. I love falling in love with people that I just meet, you know? Yeah. The group was so, so powerful. Mm. And it's just a reminder whenever we do those uh, sharing um, in circle, how people have so many emotions that are right there, right at the surface. And I think about that, or I try to remind myself when I'm interacting with the world on a daily basis, how many people have that emotion just right there right below the surface, there is that thing, you know, that they often share in circle because we're prompted to speak to that, but it's just a really beautiful, a beautiful thing to see the depth of people, the warmth of people, the strength of people. I mean, the women in the circle and the way that they shared and the things that they shared were just beyond. And so many of them experienced similar Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. and were so connected to each other because of that sharing and um, yeah, I was just blown away and we were able to participate, which is not something we do on the regular because we're kind of in event mode, but this, we were really committed to taking part and to participate in the healing. Um, we did cacao, so it's a, a plant medicine technically, and it's really, really heart opening. So we, they, you know, Josie and Felicity just facilitate this beautiful ceremony around the cacao and, kind of explain what's going to happen. And I think the cacao is what just kind of, I I didn't make the connection in the moment, but 
just blew our hearts open. I was like a freaking puddle, but I had done cacao like once before and this, but this time was really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was just, it was perfect. And I had gotten a session with both of them. I did a healing with them in Topanga on Friday, which was helpful for my heart opening, you know, to have that as like the preface to Saturday to really just receive. Yeah. Um, We pulled cards and then we did, and they talked a lot about the importance of the womb and uh, what it feels like to have your womb awakened. And then we did this channeling healing for the entire group. All the girls got healed by both Josie and Felicity in such a powerful way. And they were speaking in light language and we did sound with a sound bath. It was- The sound bath was sound bath. really good, guys. <laughs> the sound bath, honestly, whenever we're on tour and I come back, the, one of the first things I do is go to a sound bath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because for me, that is like huge for the resetting of my nervous system. Mm-hmm. It helps bring my all my cells cell to equilibrium. It's just one of the most decompressing things that I can do. And I just have found it really, really powerful within my healing. And it's been- profound receiving for me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I just wanted to speak to as well, like the, the women that were there, they were, there were moms, there were soon to be moms. There were women who were a little bit younger than us. The range was really beautiful. And it just reminded me of kind of the importance of this reconnection that we can one, it's never too late to kind of come back to and recommit to. And just how it is like this epic journey with your womb through having children. Um, I know my mom had a hysterectomy. Um, Same. Yeah. Like there's just like so many felt things. Like that was like a solution. I know. A provided solution for things that. Yes, I know. Breaks my heart. But, um, yeah, it's just such a journey, you know, and it's such a sacred space that a lot of us detach from because there could be a lot of pain associated with that area, whether it's illness or or an actual event that happened in that part of your body. So yeah, it was just kind of a, a really beautiful reminder of that relationship and how important it is to nurture that part of our bodies and to send a lot of love there because it's it's a source for all of us and what I've like come to understand like my creativity. So if mm-hmm. I'm like not there, I'm super, super blank and disconnected. Also the, one of my favorite parts was the intuitive movement. Yeah. Oh yeah. We all closed our eyes and Felicity led us through this like yogic intuitive movement. And she studied under a few different shamans. So it was rooted in that, but I mean, that, that feels so good. It was. So, and it was nice because all of our eyes were closed. So sometimes mm-hmm. there's a thing when your eyes are open and you get a little subconscious about your movement, but because our eyes were closed, holy moly, holy moly. It was so liberating the breath, the sound, the movement of the body, the hips. We were really opening up our hips, which felt good. Yes. It was like feminine. It was juicy. It was like in in a personally sexy way, you know, where you're just like appreciating like your body in that way. It's not like out, you know, someone perceiving you as sexy. It's yeah. just like you are like feeling sexy. Yes. Yeah, that was that was actually an integral part, I think, of the ceremony too that I hadn't experienced before in that yeah. type of context. Yeah. I just, I really loved that. 
when I got home, Justin, I was wearing my like my baggy <laughs> dress that I w- wore all day and my like n- nasty feet because they're covered in dirt. He's like, oh, how was your doula fest? <laughs> I was like, my doula fest was amazing. I'm not going to explain what we did, but it was amazing. <laughs> Dude, what dudes think we do? I mean, it's honestly. Hilarious. Yeah. So thank you to Josie of 11 Healing and Felicity Weston. Uh, 11 Healing is on Instagram at 11 Healing and then at Felicity.Weston. And they're just incredible light workers based in London and Yorkshire. And thank you to everyone who showed up. That was just a really special yeah. ceremony that I'll never forget. And we're connected for life. Yes. And you could see where they're traveling for this year. It's actually Womb Awakening UK on Instagram. And they're actually going to a few different places. They're in Leeds, London. They have a few retreats happening as well. And it was fabulous. And next year for 2020, I want to find a way to do another one of those with you guys because I'm selfish and I want another one. Yeah, tr- <laughs> truly. Because <laughs> I'm like, what own. healing do we want next? Honestly. Let's plan an event. Uh, you know what also was bomb the food? Live. Oh, live hungry, can baby. We, can we have a moment? Can we for have live? a moment for live hungry? Friend of the pod. She cooks the best food. It was all plant-based, vegan, sugar-free, all these things. The, the menu was insane insane these beautiful so wraps and yes. then we had like these peanut tie peanut tie noodles noodles Ugh. tapioca pudding cookies Co- the cookies. I had eight cookies yeah they were that's delicious. actually not an exaggeration <laughs> you guys wonder where i get my body it's from eating eight cookies we were do- doing the session and after i was over i was like damn i need to eat cookies right now i was like i need to soothe myself because yeah. i don't know what's going on mm-hmm. It was so that's a little bit about me so and, my, and my eating issues. I put one in my pocket, which was... You did? Yeah, because I was like, I'm going to want one later <laughs> my too. my God. Are you 10? That's <laughs> hilarious. Yes. <laughs> Last thing about that cookie. Uh, you know, on Epic Kidney, there's, those, uh, there's that chicken coop and this... Oh. So on Epic Kidney, by Plant Food and Wine, there's these chickens that oh, are yeah. in a coop and then there's these ducks. And every time we walk past it to go to Blue Bottle, Justin always stops and is like talking to the chickens and the ducks. And he's like, oh my God, the other day, all the chickens started walking towards me and they're all facing me and they were all looking at me at the same time. And he's like, it was so cool. But then I realized it's because I had a cookie in my hand. (laughs) I was like, you're a true 10 year old. You're literally Uh, holding a cookie in your hand. You're like, I'm king of the ducks. (laughs) Honestly, (laughs) looking at the chickens and you're like holding court with like a cookie in your hand. Oh, shoot. So funny. Oh, man. All right. Well, today we're really excited. We had a conversation with Stephen Cabral. Awesome. He's Number so one. awesome. He's I wish so we were in Boston to, to be with him in person, but I was just so thankful. Truly, truly, truly. Naturopath, Ayurvedic, functional medicine, and integrative health practitioner and author. He's just an incredible wealth of information. I felt like he could talk forever and just kind of like fill me up with all the things. He's he's very approachable, warm, kind, and very direct. Our conversation centers around mind-body connection. That's really so much of what holistic health is all about and hormones. You know, we love to dig into the topic of hormones. It's been one of the most relevant conversations with our community. Uh, So we really dive into that, what hormones are, how are they affected, hormone imbalances, how those show up in the body. And then we also talked about finding your ideal weight and how to find it in a personalized way. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he's just a wealth of knowledge and you know that we scan the gamut of all health and wellness related topics during this conversation. So I am personally very excited for you to listen. Yeah. He's also the author of The Rain Barrel Effect, How a 6,000 Year Old Secret Holds the Answer to Finally Getting Well, Losing Weight and Feeling Alive Again. And we talk about a lot about longevity as well, like really living your best life as long as possible, having a lot of energy and, and really finding a preventative way instead of like waiting for the symptoms and treating them. It's really um, treating your body in a preventative way and holistic way. And he also has a podcast, The Cabral Concept, this is a very thorough podcast. Mm-hmm. He has, for example, Motivation and Mindset Mondays, Total Wellness Tuesdays, Weight Loss Wednesdays, Training Thursdays, Friday, Best of Review. And he also takes questions from his audience. Love Stephen. Beyond. Yeah, love him. Dr. He's got a really great Steven. Instagram too. There's a lot of nuggets and really easy to digest information. So definitely check him out on Instagram. Yeah. So enjoy this episode. We appreciate you listening as always. If this resonates with you and maybe a friend or family member could get a lot from it, please share with them. We always love when you share on Instagram. And if you're called to write a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be amazing. We read them all and we'll read one on the other side of this episode and we'll see you on tour. We are still touring until the end of the year. So please check out more information, almost30podcast.com slash tour. Cannot wait to see you. Enjoy. Bye. I wish you guys, our listeners could see your background couldn't be, you know, it's just quintessential. It's stunning view and, and just a wall full of amazing books. So it is, it is great over here. Exactly. Um, we're so excited. It's been, you know, we've been, it's been quite some time where we've wanted to connect with you. Um, we've been fans of your work and a lot of the women on our team are huge fans of your work. They love that. Um, not only are you knowledgeable and that you, um, are able to mesh Eastern and Western medicines, but that you're very personable and cool and fun Mm -hmm. and make everything really interesting. So we are happy to have you on almost 30 today. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor. Appreciate it. Uh, at what point did the Eastern and Western medicine kind of meet in your in your studies? Just because I feel like, you know, there is an emphasis on one or the other uh, when you're learning. So it's always really nice to hear like when they do meet, because in our experience, you really do need both to live well and to live long. And you actually do need both. A lot of people try to make it one or the other. So it's saying you should go to your natural health practitioner or you should only go to your PCP. And what I find is that when they've gotten sick and tired of being sick and tired and they're tired of taking pharmaceuticals and they haven't found their answers through conventional medicine, and that was no different, extremely sick. Now, before that, childhood-wise, I had headaches and I would take antibiotics every you know couple months for all sorts of different colds. But I thought that that was normal. And so I never really had an issue with that because I didn't know anything else existed. Well, when I got really sick at 17, and it was essentially a medical mystery, I still just went to medical specialist after medical specialist. I found out about this thing called alternative health or alternative medicine. And that's where I began my study. So my study came uh, much later. So I want to just say that I do believe that everyone should have an MD, a medical doctor, their primary care, and that I'm not against conventional medicine in any way, shape, or form. I just believe that the conventional medicine was set up for an acute-based condition. Life-saving, whether it's heart attack, stroke, you have an accident, you absolutely should go to your local walk-in clinic emergency room and contact your PCP 
that's not the realm of natural help. Natural help helps with chronic-based conditions where over time your body begins to break down. Now, conventional medicine does not have a lot of answers for that. They have a lot of ways to mask that with pharmaceutical drugs that mask symptoms, but they don't have a lot of answers for that. And natural health doesn't have a lot of answers for an acute-based condition. So the two can work very nicely together. And I just want to potentially pull up and just make sure that I'm understanding in an accurate way what is Eastern, what is considered Eastern medicine and what is considered Western medicine. You know, from my view and vantage point, Eastern would be more of the Ayurveda, more of Chinese medicine and Western would be, I guess, and you know, and this is where I'm kind of incorrect is I, I assume it's the pharmaceutical and and more of a medicine that's based in science, but I would love to hear how how exactly you explain it so that our audience can have a better view. Absolutely. So my degree is as a doctor of naturopathy. And so after that, though, you try to find specialties of what you like to do and how you want to practice. So for me, I was, you know, it took me a long time to get well, much, much longer than most people. But I consider that also a benefit. Sometimes if you find your answer right away, you don't get to go deep in a subject and then it pops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for me, it took 10 years. Again, it was, but it was pre internet. So, you know, if you keep them, if you think about that, you actually had to read books and like look for local practitioners. It was very difficult to do. So the nice thing was I was able to go deep in many different realms. And that's because nothing was really working. I would get better for a little bit of time and then I would relapse. I would get better and then I would relapse. So what I did was I actually interned overseas in India and Sri Lanka for Ayurvedic medicine. Wow. I went to China and, and um, interned there at a traditional Chinese medicine hospital in TCM which is traditional Chinese medicine. And I studied in Europe for something called bioregulatory medicine and functional medicine. Now, I coupled that with the, the, we'll call it modern day functional medicine, orthomolecular medicine, which is the science behind state-of-the-art lab testing, genetic testing, and vitamins and minerals as nutrients to help with deficiencies in the body. So I, I believe it's the best of all worlds. Anyone could do, do this. This is not something unique to me, but we call it integrative health. It's an integrative health practice where you're combining state-of-the-art lab tests to see what someone's toxicities are. That means too much aluminum, too much parabens, all these different types of things that our body accumulates. And then we couple that with too little of something, a deficiency. It might be zinc, it might be magnesium, it might be progesterone for a lot of the women that we work with. Now, if we mix those together, we have state-of-the-art lab testing with the Eastern-based medicine of how to balance the body. So it's a, it's a beautiful way, I think, to practice. And what was going on with you health-wise um, you know, back then where you were not able to initially find answers and it forced you to go deeper? So... The issue with me not being able to find my answers right away is that I was a 17-year-old kid who looked like he shouldn't be that sick, but I was, and my blood work looked okay. So when your blood work looks okay, conventional medicine stops there. There's no hair testing, saliva testing, urine testing, stool testing to look for deeper issues. But now that's where functional medicine steps in, and that is US and European-based. And we know based on those labs, those are the precursors to disease, but they also look at other factors. We work with a lot of women with estrogen dominance and the answer is not going to be, okay, let's put someone on hormone replacement, not in their thirties. I mean, that is, that's not the best place in my opinion to start. Now, some people may have a different opinion, but what I always do as a practitioner is I keep asking why, why did this happen in the first place? How did this happen? What if we were to reverse that? What if we were to go backwards and work on those things? So 
for me, I did those at-home lab tests at 19 years old. Um, and then what we found was that I took that back to my PCP, which kind of was a mistake. And then they did diagnostic work. They found out I had Addison's disease, which is the inability to produce cortisol. So cortisol wow. mm. is a bad thing, but it's actually an anti-inflammatory too. And it helped with the immune system. So my body was really just wiped out, flu-like symptoms. I had type 2 diabetes. I had rheumatoid arthritis. I had POTS. Wow. I had fibromyalgia. I had a lot of things where the body couldn't regulate hormones, the immune system, or blood sugar. And it was really sinking my body to a, to a point where um, I had to drop out of school for a couple of months and didn't know if I was even going to be able to graduate my senior year. Wow. There's a few points that I want to hit on, but um, something that I that I have realized and I really love about functional medicine is the exactly what you said, where we are looking at the why something is actually happening. And for me, that is one of the differentiators that I've seen between general Western and Eastern medicine is with Western medicine, it does feel like there is a prescribing of something to treat the symptoms instead of the looking at the holistic, why this could be happening or why exactly someone is feeling and looking this way. And you touched on something that um, I want to talk about a little bit in broader detail, and that's related to hormone health, especially as, as it relates to women. I actually had estrogen or progesterone, or no, I had estrogen dominance about two years ago. Uh, my cortisol levels were, were pretty off. And then in addition to the estrogen dominance, there was really low testosterone. So I was going through a little bit of a hormonal shift myself after having adrenal fatigue, a few different things. Um, but I would love to explore that a little bit further with you and talk about different hormonal issues for women and what women can be doing to negate against those or prevent those from happening. Absolutely. And that's a big part of our practice. We, our practice is just a little over 80% women. And we're dealing a lot with hormone imbalance, digestive issues, and stress. And typically part of that hormone imbalance is lower thyroid and it's estrogen yeah. dominance. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we can really pull it all together. And that's why you have to have the why. But again, going back to medical doctors, I kind of always give them an out. They have to see a new person every 15 minutes. Yeah. And even what we're about to have in this podcast is way more information than they would ever get in a lifetime with their PCP. It's just not meant to work that way. Health insurance won't pay the PCP to do an hour-long conversation every time you go in. And they also haven't been schooled in that. So where are they going to have that knowledge? So that's why you just you need a natural health practitioner and you need your medical doctor. And then your natural health practitioner, if you do have hormonal-based issues or suspect it, should have a... You don't want to specialize too much because what happens is you specialize, you don't realize that a lot of times the gut-based issues could be causing you a lot of stress in the body. Meaning that if there's gut-based permeability, which means that the intestines, you have about 26 feet of intestine, those are partially open. So those gaps have gotten a little bit bigger. It will actually start to spill proteins and bacteria into your bloodstream. Well, that will increase your immune based response. You can actually start to get anxiety from that because of the gut-brain axis. This could make you even more stressed besides you know, work or school or trying to get the kids ready in the morning or rush hour commute, whatever it might be, that turns on stress and makes it maybe chronic-based stress because of relationship and everything else we have going on. What happens is we have gut issues, we have stress from life, we might have viruses, we might have heavy metals or toxicity. That increases our fight or flight. Now, we just know it as maybe more adrenaline but what happens is it actually elevates cortisol. When cortisol goes up, our body naturally begins to break down stored glycogen, which is sugar. 
And that's why a lot of people on you know different types of diets right now, they don't understand that when they're under stress, the body actually manufactures its own sugar. And then what we have here is kind of the highs and lows and mood and irritability and all that because you're going highs and lows and stress. But at the same time, when you increase fight or flight, you begin to naturally, especially in women, this happens much more in women than men, and we can go into why if you'd like, but it drops down your metabolic or your metabolism. And that includes thyroid. So it lowers your activated T3. It lowers your activated T4 and converts usable T3 to reverse T3. When this is happening, the more stress you are under, the lower progesterone goes. And I'll tell you, mm-hmm. nine out of 10, because progesterone can be a precursor to cortisol, so it needs it. But nine out of 10 times, women have totally normal estrogen that we see in their labs, completely normal. But their progesterone is so low that they end up with estrogen dominance because the two have to be within ratio. So we have normal estrogen, but low progesterone. So now they get all of the symptoms of high estrogen, even though it's not high, and they get the bloating, cellulite, water retention, low mood, fatigue, brain fog, And it might happen five days to seven days before their cycle, or it might be all month long if that progesterone never rebounds. Really quickly, just something you talked about, I want to make sure that is super clear for me, the anxiety piece. So you mentioned that anxiety could be caused based on something within the gut, or I would just love for you to expand upon that a little bit, because I know a lot of women and men in our community suffer and deal with anxiety on a regular basis. So anxiety can be there's so many factors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it, if you're looking at it physiologically, meaning like within our body, there's only about 12. And so when we when a functional medicine or integrative health practitioner will go down the list and they'll begin to check off, okay, is it low magnesium? Is it low zinc? Is it low B vitamins, namely B6? A lot of people talk about B12. And don't get me wrong, it's a great vitamin. But B6 is the precursor. It's what you need for thyroid. It's what you need for serotonin production. And so if we see sleep issues, if we see low mood, if we see irritability, we're looking back and we're saying, is there a shortage in B6? So that's an example of how a deficiency could actually lead to anxiety. Zinc is another one as well. Zinc and magnesium and B vitamins, those will help a lot of people. But let's say the gut is inflamed because you're eating foods that are so-called healthy, but they're not healthy for you. And now we have inflammation in our gut and our gut is directly connected to our brain through something called the a vagal nerve or vagus nerve. And that tells your brain, not specifically that something's wrong, but it does tell you that something's wrong down here. And we feel it. We feel queasy. We feel anxious. We feel bloated. And the whole time, your body doesn't know why, but it knows something is off. And now you internalize it as, oh, it's because I'm stressed about work or whatever it might be. But I'll tell you, we all have stress in our life. Some people are stressed and worried about it and some people aren't. So we have to look at other factors beyond just lifestyle. A two-part question, just in following that, you you mentioned, you know, supplementing with B6, with magnesium, whatever someone needs. But so at what point is eating these vitamins not enough? And under certain stress, does the body need more than normal. And that's why we supplement. Like when do people, when should people begin to supplement? Yeah, that's a great question. So what we do is it's always whole food first, but I do something called, it's the de-stress protocol. So it's diet, exercise, stress reduction, toxin removal, rest, emotional balance, supplement protocols, and success mindset. So there's a lot. Good one. (laughs) But if we look at it, you know, anxiety can be reduced through exercise. 
it can be reduced through getting more sleep. So what I like people to do is not have to be perfect in their practice because they have so much else going on in their life. What if I could get you to 80% in all of those areas? Everything else would take care of itself. Mm -hmm. But if people are just following diet or just trying to exercise off the stress or anxiety, you have to be so on point and it has to be daily and you can never cheat and or it will come right back. So what I want to do is help people from a core level, a foundational level that they can enjoy life, but they can enjoy life to a much greater level because they're balanced. And the way that you need know that you need more is you can do simple at-home labs. You can do a hair tissue mineral analysis to look at your minerals, and you can use an organic acid test or another lab like that to look at your vitamins, uh, which is a great way to look at it. Now, you say, well, why, why would you ever need a supplement? Well, the truth is that since 1950, the quality of our food, even organic food, has gone down between 14% and 40% because of soil degradation and cheap fertilizers and no three-field system. And, and then there is also, well, I don't think as humans, we were meant to be exposed to the 77,000 man-made chemicals and the stress that we're under on a daily basis. So we get depleted a lot faster. So typically what we do is we go whole food, of course, first. We're using a higher dosage, not high dosage, higher dosage in the beginning for about 12 weeks to refuel our cells and cellular processes to replenish stores. And then we drop down to an actual pretty low level, just a baseline to maintain what your food may not be giving you on a daily basis. Something you talked about that you talk about regularly, which I want to know more about, and you kind of touched on it was in talking about supplementation or or talking about issues that people have is people are eating healthy in quotes, but it may not be healthy for them. And to me, that speaks to the relationship between our health and being individuals and how individuality is really important to your health. How can someone understanding that concept, learn more about their health and what is best for them? What would be some steps that you you would suggest? Well, my highest suggestion is the IgG food sensitivity test, and that can be done right at home as well. Um, I'm happy to share how we do it and how that process works. But what the IgG sensitivity test is, it's a little different. It actually looks at your food reactions 24 to 72 hours later. So that means that you know, let's just say you have a dinner on uh, Wednesday night. The food that you ate at that meal may not give you the headache, the brain fog, the hives, whatever it might be, bloating an hour or two later. But on Friday or Saturday morning, it could show up, believe it or not, that much longer because the immunoglobulin G, which is IgG, those cells are a latent response where IgE would be more immediate. So we look at that test because those are hard to figure out. By the time three days has passed, You've eaten at least three meals most likely per day. So now you have to think back, nine meals, and how many ingredients did you have per meal? Five? We're at 45, 50 different ingredients. It's very difficult to figure that out. So there's that part to it. Everyone has unique food sensitivities. We only test for healthy foods. We test for 94 healthy foods. Very simple. Children and adults. But there's also something where... And and I feel like I need to speak up on this because it's so much of a lightning topic right now about the carnivore diet and diets like that. People say, I feel amazing on the carnivore diet, but that's because their digestive system is such a mess that they can't actually eat anything with fiber or plant-based foods. And that's because they have so much candida overgrowth or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or H. pylori or parasites that when they put fermentable foods into their body, instead of it feeding good bacteria, it's feeding bad bacteria, clostridium-based bacteria, it's feeding yeast and candida, and then all of a sudden they have bloating, they have joint pain, they have autoimmune, 
Well, that's not really the body's fault. The body's out of balance and the, the don't blame the food. Remove those pathogens, reseal up that gut wall, and you'll be able to go back to a normal human diet of predominantly plant-based foods. Yeah, carnivore diet, we're kind of ignoring. <laughs> we're, we're just acting like it's not happening. <laughs> and, it's, and it's interesting in general. Like, Have you, you know, come up against, I'm sure, a lot of your patients who believe they should be on a certain type of diet because... You know, either they have certain symptoms or they just want to follow a trend, and really, it is so individual. I'm also wondering how how you speak to your patients and and teach them about how the emotional body affects the digestion and affects uh, weight gain and weight loss and thyroid function. We had a, a really intense week last week of, of basically group therapy for five days. It was a beautiful week, but I just it made me think a lot about myself, about the people around me and the emotional weight that people could be carrying or the emotional uh, dis-ease in their bodies that they could be carrying. Um, so I just love for you to speak on that. It's a great point that you need to look outside of just the chemistry of the body because your physiology, as we spoke about before, poor digestion can affect your psychology. So if you're not feeling well in your gut, you're probably irritable. You're probably going to be a little bit more lower mood. Your patience is going to be less because you're already aggravated. Your gut is aggravated and there's two feet of it. But there's another part to that and that's the, psych the psychology affecting the physiology. When you are nervous or anxious or stressed, your body naturally slows peristaltic movement. And that means the wave-like motion in the intestines and also in your esophagus. People have a difficult time swallowing food. It's called achalasia. But now with conventional medicine, we'll do surgery to burn the esophagus. We do all of these things when we should be looking at this person. We've seen it 10 out of 10 times. I haven't seen it 9 out of 10 times. 100% of the time, that person is highly stressed. And they are now in this fight or flight mode. And when your body's in fight or flight, it, it does not do everything. So it shifts processes. When you're relaxed, you're more creative. You are, you know, there's a lot of different things we could go through, but it's mainly when we're talking about stress. Your body actually begins to slow those hormones that I spoke about the thyroid, the progesterone, testosterone, which is a anabolic hormone, right? We're more on the catabolism, we're more fight or flight based. And what happens is it slows digestion as well. So if we slow digestion, we put food in our mouth when we're stressed, which we know from Ayurvedic medicine and every form of medicine except conventional medicine, that food will sit in our stomach longer, will produce less stomach acid, less enzymes, and the food will begin to ferment. When it begins to ferment there, it creates gas and bloating. So it's really important. We've, we've seen many, many people do lab retests. The candida's gone, parasites gone, H. pylori, SIBO, they're all gone. And every once in a while, maybe it's like one out of 500, they still have bloating. How is that possible? The bacteria has been replaced. Everything looks good. Well, our bodies cannot overpower our minds. Our minds are still much more powerful. And if we're all locked up inside, and that includes the gut, it's going to make, it's going to make digestion very difficult. So at that point, we're really going big on relaxing through mind-body-based exercises, meditation, hatha yoga, going for walks, listening to binaural beats, like whatever we need. And plus therapy, if they need therapy, like that's, I'm, I'm good as an integrative health practitioner. You want to try to bring in everything. You know that you can't be the one to do everything. So you look towards acupuncturists, chiropractors, therapists to also help out as well. Yeah. Those are some of our favorite ways to de-stress and to decompress. And 
Yeah, I love that. And it, there is, it's interesting too, like as it relates to a naturopath, you know, there's the understanding that you may not have the answers to everything, but I wonder within our current structure of how doctors work in the Western, it's like, it seems like we believe that they have the answers to everything. And there's kind of that shift in like a true understanding that you may not have every answer or every tool, but you will find it. And otherwise it seems like either they have the answer or the question doesn't exist. But you talked about something previously that I want to touch on. And this is a a hot topic. I think personally here in LA, as it relates to toxicity, you know, we've had conversations about mold and, and toxicity as of late. And it is something that I would have never thought about, you know, growing up, I grew up in a small town in Ohio, so I would have never thought about it, you know, would have never been in my language. But now, especially because LA is older, you know, the places that you live are older. There's just so many people here. There's so much pollution pollution. There's so much going on. I think about it more regularly. And two of the things you mentioned were aluminum and parabens. And I know parabens are in uh, most cosmetics and stuff like that, but I would love to talk about more about toxicity in general, what it does to the body and some ones that we can look out for. Absolutely. And this topic is not addressed enough because there aren't enough people, are, they're not providing enough answers. So just like you said, in conventional medicine, they never like to bring it up unless they have an answer for it. Uh, but yeah. the mm-hmm. truth is that we talk about it in, in natural health all the time in naturopathic medicine is that the body was it knows how to detox and it does that on a daily basis. Your liver, that organ under the right side of your rib cage is meant to clean your blood, totally clean the blood every six minutes. But at no point was it ever meant to see the man-made synthetic chemicals that we have now today. So the average woman leaves her house using 12 different products and being exposed to over 126 different chemicals, cancer-causing chemicals before she leaves the house. Now, she doesn't know any of this. And guys aren't far behind. Guys are just under 90, so it's not far behind. So what happens is we have people walking around as a science experiment for all of these cancer-based carcinogens that we know will cause cancer not today, but 10 years from now. And so they never relate the two. The aluminum or fluoride in the water, the chlorine coming out of your shower, the uh, triclosan in your toothpaste, the parabens, the PCBs, those are, we're all being exposed to that. They don't even need to label lead in a lot of pigmented-based cosmetics, but it's there. The metal gets it to stick to the body. And so when we look at these specific things, we say, no wonder why there's so much hormonal disruption. Because these are also estrogen, they're called exogenous estrogens. We bring them in from outside the body. It's not part of our natural uh, system within the body. Now, if there's an overflow of toxins, the body has one extra space that it can put it, technically two. And it's called the adipose tissue, which is your fat cells. Now, we're born with a certain number of fat cells, but that means they can expand or shrink. Well, when you have a lot of toxins in your body, Your body looks at adipose tissue as a very safe place to lock those toxins away if it can't remove them. So what happens though when it does that? Well, water and fluid comes along with it. So the fat cells begin to swell. So we have so many people who are overweight or above their weight that look more puffy and swollen than even have a lot of body fat. And they'll do a functional medicine detox and they'll lose 10 pounds in a week. Now that's not all body fat, but that is the toxic water weight that's being retained along with it. So that's not a bad thing because they never have to go back to that lifestyle. So, you know, toxins are a, a deep, deep issue right now. There's over 77,000 as stated by the World Health Organization. And it's just more and more every single year. Wow. Yeah. And another toxin, alcohol. 
we've had conversations within our community and on the podcast just about being sober curious. You know, I, speaking for myself, I don't drink nearly as much anymore. Every once in a while I will. And, but I do remember just the toll it took on my body, but I don't exactly know what was going on. So I would love for you to speak on, on how alcohol affects the body. And, you know, if we are to imbibe every once in a while, what we should be drinking, because I know the liver is just such an important organ and it affects so many other things. And that's that's a tough one because so many people, their social situations and relationships revolve around alcohol. And it's not that they're alcoholics or that they can't live without it, but they... And I've seen this in my practice. We have people go 21 days without alcohol for a real system reset. And they've noticed that when they go out with their friends, because we have all these little methods, and I'm sure you do them as well, I was like, you'll get a soda water with a splash of cranberry and a lime, right? And that's a great fun drink. You won't drink that all the time at home. But when they do that, they're friends. It's like the crabs in the bucket analogy. They're, they're always saying, oh, you know, why don't you have just one drink with me? Or you're not as fun when you're not drinking. And it's a lot of peer pressure. And it kind of shows you though, like, hey, are these true friends or not? But again, if what if they're your only friends? Whether they're true friends or not, it can be very difficult. But I can tell you this, that many people with deep immune issues and hormone issues are going to have a real challenging time getting well if they're having that nightly glass of red wine or whatever it might be. And the reason is that the liver has to process the ethanol, the alcohol, which is a known toxin. You start to feel that buzz because your blood's technically being poisoned. And so Mm -hmm. when you look at that, how it affects the blood and brain, that's the intoxication, right? So your liver has to process that. And that means though, that it's going to throw off a lot of its other jobs. Like we're going, we're talking about estrogen a lot, but okay, your liver processes estrogen and gets it out of your body. Well, what if it starts to reaccumulate? Or what if it can't take care of a lot of these heavy metals or plastics while it's helping you to remove that from the body? And also, you're not going to get your three or four deep sleep cycles per night because when you drink alcohol, you get to sleep faster but you don't get into a deep sleep, which means your repair process is going to be harmed. So for anybody out there who's trying to get well or lose the weight, take a sabbatical from alcohol. You'll be able to go back to it later. Uh, The research right now shows two to three drinks per week. Not a big deal for most people. Again, some people, yes, still harmful, but most people, not an issue. After that, we can start to see harm in the body. So I typically say, choose one night a week, enjoy yourself, have fun with friends, and it should be with friends so that you're a part of that blue zone communal-based um, society where you know, you're know you laughing, you're de-stressing, you're having a great time. Yeah. I definitely noticed that's a, that's a really good point. Um, makes me think about like times that I've drank and like who I'm with and the emotions around who I'm with and how it affects how I meta- metabolize it. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And it's it's also interesting to ask yourself... Could I still hang out with this person if I wasn't drinking alcohol? Totally. Right? <laughs> That's a big one. Totally. That's when you kind of kind of comb through your friends <laughs> and they just drop off. <laughs> the circle gets smaller. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I was blown, I'm blown away at 77,000. As noticed by the World Health Organization, man-made, what is it? Man-made disruptors, hormone disruptors, or what do you call it? Toxins? You can call them toxins or carcinogens and those toxins things are carcinogens that can lead to cancer. And because one point I'll just make is that yeah. when you want to test out therapies that will help cure cancer in the future, 
one thing we need to look at is that the way that they give those lab rats cancer is they give them a pesticide that we put on food. So when you look at that and you say, but yet we put the same pesticide on food, something's wrong here. Wow. Wow. So, so would that be like a pesticide created by like Monsanto and then that's part of the system? Or like, I'm just curious of like, cause then, you know, I just always think about systems and like how corrupt they are at points and thinking about like a testing system by a pharmaceutical company using a pesticide by another large corporation and kind of keeping itself within the system. Well, you know, I never know and I never know which, you know, yeah. conspiracies to believe because it could be that. I mean, it literally, <laughs> I believe them all. <laughs> like, I mean, you could go that deep and saying, okay, this is actually to give people cancer or mm-hmm. I kind of give people the benefit of the doubt, although I usually yeah. shouldn't. Um, but you could say, okay, they're putting the pesticides on so they can increase crop yield. Yeah. Um, the problem is once you find out that it causes cancer, then you should stop. And you have to stop even if it increases profit, right? We can't put profit over people. I don't have a problem with companies making profit. We live in a world where you need money to even travel the world, to do fun things, whatever it might be. So I don't have an issue with that. The problem is when you sacrifice to someone else's health, then that's the issue. And you know that's what we need to do. We need to come up with other safer alternatives, which is why I do recommend people to purchase organic, to go to a cleaner-based system than those pesticides. Yeah. And part of that, so what would be some of the the important ones that we should look out for and where can they be found? Well, the two biggest things, and I always, diet is always the first thing that we have to do before exercise, before everything, because you can't make up for any area of your life really with a bad diet. Um, But again, you don't need to be perfect. You have to clean up the diet. So I say, let's say there's many people listening to this and there's no way they can afford all organic. And I totally understand that. Like I can look back and say like, yeah, I mean, there's no way I was going to either. Nor was I even going to buy fruit vegetables. So when we look at that, we say, let's go with the clean 15 and the dirty dozen. So the clean 15 are the fruit and vegetables by the Environmental Working Group. They write it up every year that people could purchase conventional if needed because they're not heavily sprayed crops. Again, they're going to have less vitamins and minerals in them. They might contain waxes and things like that on them. So you have to be careful, but they're not going to have all the pesticides and they haven't seeped into the skin or the flesh of the fruit or vegetables. Now, the dirty dozen, you either purchase organic or you simply don't eat because you can't wash off the pesticides and there's no doubt that they're harming you. So that's a great first place to start for food. And then then in terms of like, if you're eating meat and fish, wild-caught fish, grass-fed beef. And if you say, well, it's very expensive. And I would say, yes, I understand it's worth it, but also eat half. You don't need all the massive amount. If you're eating a one pound steak, you know, you could cut that back. And then the other part is anything cosmetics you're putting on your body and shampoos, conditioners, men and women. If you can't eat that, then it's not healthy to put on your skin because your skin is porous. And believe it or not, it's actually more unhealthy than food because it goes directly into your bloodstream. Now, at least with food, your liver and intestines and stomach acid get a shot at it. But with your skin, it goes directly through the scalp uh, or in your mouth or on your, on, through your skin. Mm. I've never heard it said like that before. I'm going to go like eat my coconut scrub. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's so interesting. You mentioned before um, the blue zones. Um, so for people that don't know, you know, what is a blue zone and what is going on in the blue zones to categorize them as places where people are thriving and living longer? So the blue zones before, and they're basically being eradicated now because you know, we infiltrate them with Western-based society. 
And these are locations, pockets around the world. They don't know each other, but they are the longest lived populations in the world. And so essentially untouched or were untouched by medicine and all sorts of other different parts of the Western-based culture. It doesn't mean that it's better, but we can learn a lot because these people have the largest amount of um, centurions or centenians that live beyond 100 years. And so when we look at that, there is 18 main factors. And the, the book's actually been revised. I forget his name. Dan something is the author. I wish I could give him credit right now, but it's called The Blue Zones. And what they looked at was that the big things were their diet. We can get into that. The community, reducing stress, walking, plenty of movement, not necessarily like really hard workouts, but plenty of movement. And then the, um, which I talked about a little bit, but the social gatherings too. So, you know, when they did have some alcohol or they did have some homemade pies, things like that, they would actually, it would be infrequent, maybe once a week or so. And they would gather together maybe for like a Sunday and they would have a nice communal meal together and it would last hours. You know, it wasn't in and out. And then what did they do? Well, they were lowering calories for the day. The predominance of their diet was plant-based and it was literally between 80 and 90% plant-based. Now, they took in anywhere between 5 and 5, 15% protein. That's really um, important as well because the 5 to 15% protein kept what's called, and this is going to get a little complicated, but their IGF levels low. That just means their growth hormone or their growth factor. Mm-hmm. So they have lower incidence of a lot of inflammation and cancer. And one thing I talk about all the time is if you don't get heart disease, heart attack, stroke, or cancer, those are the top three that end about 70% of people's lives short. But what if you could eradicate the heart disease, the high blood pressure stroke that go together and the cancer? Well, if you can do that, then most of us will live a nice, long, healthy life as long as we're taking care of this vessel that's carrying us through life. So I really like to rely on the blue zones. A lot of people try to refute them because they have an agenda, right? I have no agenda. There's no agenda here. So it's like, how can I live the longest possible? My family and the people in my practice. Yeah, it's Dan Butner. Is the, is the name of the author for the Blue Zones. And it is a, it's a really great book. The, yeah, the takeaway that I got from it was really the importance of community and the importance of being a part of, you know, a family unit or network of people that care about you that you care about and the importance of that in stress reduction in your lifestyle in um, the way that you eat in your you know physical emotional mental body I think that was the most profound part for me I expected them to be plant-based I expected them to have stress coping mechanisms but I think that for me was the most surprising and telling but it is an amazing book I want to talk about quickly uh, one of your Instagram posts that I loved the other day that gave me pause was talking about eating only two meals a day. Oftentimes when we're on the road, we will do a late breakfast, lunch, and then we'll do dinner. And so I wanted to talk about what you thought about, you know, should it be three square meals? Should it be six? Like why not two meals a day? And what should people be doing as far as like their eating patterns? Well, the 16-8 diet right now is one of the most popular diets out there. The problem is it's not the right diet for most people. Um, 16, eight has you basically fasting from dinner the night before till lunch the next day. That's how most people do it. There are all different variations. Pick the 16 hour window that you would like. Um, but the problem is, and I, and I did a, a show on this is that I talked about that unless you start your day relaxed, you're already moving into fight or flight. When you do mm. that, your body's already signaling. You don't get to choose. Once you get into the stress-based pattern, your body signals a process called glucogenesis, there's something called gluconeogenesis, but 
Your body makes pro, your body makes sugar. It makes glucose. So what I have people do for the most part, and this is only after seeing thousands of people on really low carb diets and on 16-8 diets, is I again I run labs. So everything's clinical based. And I say, okay, this person's been doing keto for this long. Here's what typically happens. We can see uh, lower thyroid markers, meaning TSH is starting to creep above three, their T3 is going down. And I say, okay, well, are you kind of wed to 16-8? Like, what if I could have you do a nice, light, easily digestible breakfast? It's going to give you all your antioxidants, some protein for time release, all of those things in the morning. Maybe not right when you wake up, but maybe an hour or two after you wake up. You can do your lemon, sea salt, you know, pinch a squeeze of lime in the morning, whatever you want to do, your tea, and then have that. You know, would you be able to do that? And they say yes. And then we see hormone levels begin to normalize. Because what happens is when you eat some fresh berries or fruit or you do a smoothie in the morning, which I'm a big proponent of. You actually give your body just a little bit of that glucose that it needs anyways, that it's, it needs to literally run your day. And the only thing that cuts cortisol and stress are carbohydrates. Fat doesn't do it. Protein doesn't do it. So what happens is you get a little bit of carbs, not a lot, and it allows you then to tell your body, I'm not starving. I get a lot of water with that because think about it. What most people do is they put themselves in a greater fight or flight by having a cup of coffee in the morning. And that cup of coffee is only going to spike adrenaline which is going to then in turn spike what are called glucocorticoids, cortisol, but you hear gluco right in there. They're producing glucose and that the effect is happening anyways. So why not nourish your body? And then you can just kind of split that over three meals. Now, can some people wait till 10 a.m. if they're more relaxed in the morning? Absolutely. Could some people wait until noon? Yes, if it works with their body. But if we look at different body types as well, and we're kind of going down a rabbit hole, the kapha body type from Ayurveda, they do better with longer fasts. The vata body type does terrible, even fasting for more than an hour after waking because their body is always more towards the sympathetic nervous system. They're always ramped and ready to go. They're more prone to anxiety. They're more prone to weight loss and osteoporosis. Those people need nourishment right away to fuel that nervous system where the kapha body type, they can wait a little bit. Wow. Yeah, the, the point I just want to make sure I heard correctly, was it related to carbs being the only one of the macronutrients that can help with stress? And that's correct. Or that it can help with cortisol levels. Is that correct? That's correct. It helps dampen cortisol by its effect on serotonin and other neurotransmitters in the body. And that cannot be done by fat or protein? It can be done by protein in the longer term because protein can actually be broken down to create sugars. And that's why a lot of people are even uh, doing the keto diet wrong because they're eating too much red meat or too much meat on a keto diet, which can then be turned into glucose. You mentioned uh, just a piece of, of Ayurveda. I'd love to kind of bring that in a little bit more. A lot of our community is um, interested in Ayurveda and has implemented some of the practices. But what have you seen You know, with your patients been really effective as it relates to weight loss, uh, balancing hormones, You know, just and the digestive system as well, bringing in the, you know, the diet, the Ayurvedic diet, and just the Ayurvedic lifestyle? So Ayurveda literally stands for the science of life. And people who take the time to really go deep on it, um, this, this can be for anyone. You don't have to practice or be a health coach or a doctor, but you want to begin to understand and respect your body. That's the biggest thing that I've taken from Ayurveda is that uh, appreciation of what we have and, and how to keep it well. So the way that I got more into detoxification and fasting in the first place 
was through my study overseas and with studying Ayurveda. My mentor um, had a background in Ayurveda. That's where I was essentially really first introduced to it um, because she was the one who helped me heal. So she blended functional medicine with Ayurvedic medicine while looking at my genetics. And that to me was that was saying like, how does this exist? And why does nobody practice this? So that led me down, of course, you know, with my obsessive type personality said, okay, let's see how far we can take this. But in Ayurveda, a lot of what we're doing right now, it's, it's just rediscovery. They've already done it in Ayurvedic medicine. Like fasting is not new. Needing to go past breakfast is not new. Or doing more of an easy digestible breakfast. Of course, that's an Ayurveda thing. You would never have an omelet and chicken sausage for breakfast. But that's what I did when I was in natural bodybuilding you know, 15 years ago. Like That's what I did. And I consumed 250 to 300 grams of protein and all of these different things. But again, it was not within balance with my body. So it talks about seasonal eating. It talks about you know during the wintertime, you probably want to drink a little bit more ginger tea if you're in a colder-based environment, even in LA, right? It gets cooler and you have a cooler breeze. You can feel it in the air. And then during the summertime, okay, that's when we'll take a little bit more peppermint tea or we'll do more of an iced-based tea versus a, a hot in the winter. So, I mean, that's making it simplified. Ayurveda is actually very complex. It's very, very in-depth, very complex. So I don't like to simplify it too much. But the biggest thing that I've taken from it is uniqueness and respect for each person's body type. So for women especially, most women want to see themselves as more of the vata-based type. And if you have them do an Ayurvedic quiz, nine times out of 10, they're going to say they're the vata type, but they're not. I mean, that's just not how the world works. <laughs> and for guys... Sorry, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. But for guys, we'll, we'll equally offend everyone here. Uh, they want to see themselves as the pitta. So what yeah. happens is we have a Western-based <laughs> society that simply picks out the ideal body type based on what's been portrayed in the media. Now, all of the women and men that are more kapha-based are trying to make their body into something that will literally cripple them in the long run by eating too little or exercising too much. And then the vata-based type doing not enough to actually maintain overall health and get enough nourishment into the body. So you know that's what I really want people to take from Ayurvedic medicine is that you were born with a body type. There's nothing wrong with that body type. If anything, look at all the pros that you get from it because there are pros and cons to each, respect it and simply have the best body for you and be grateful for that. It took me a long time to accept that, but now I have. Aww. <laughs> yeah, I think coming into our 30s. Yeah, it's just... And, and, and I think that is part of the emotional weight too. Like if you are fighting your body type or fighting what your body needs to be well at the expense of maybe like wanting to be quote unquote, like super thin or whatever you want to look like, it could just send your body into complete turmoil. And then you have to spend so much time trying to undo that. So I found like, and I think we both have found just kind of like literally loving our bodies a little bit more has really helped our bodies to feel and look better. So it's a win-win. <laughs> people, people can see that too. I mean, people can notice energy and confidence. Yeah. And I mean, I tell people to get in their very best shape. And right after that, I say, get in your very best shape for you. Because some people, the Vata body type or ectomorph body type, as we call it more of like you know, conventional science, they have almost no calves. There's no real calf muscle there. It's very small. Of course, they have a calf muscle. But then you look at the Kapha body type and they have a more robust calf and they have a larger ankle. You can't get rid of that. Like it's not going away. That is part of your physical structure. And the pit is in between with more of like a well-defined, uh, moderate-sized calf. So we have all these people getting upset that they're 
abs are too big or whatever it might be. It's just like, well, that's <laughs> okay. Like you don't have like, <laughs> why is the no calf better than the larger calf? Or why is the larger calf better than the more defined calf? Like how does it work that way? Mm-hmm. It's simply what, a story that we've made up. So get your body lean because that's going to help you with overall anti-aging and wellness, but do not push past the state of leanness that your body was meant to be at because you will see a huge drop in your metabolism and long-term overall health. And that includes hormones as well. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. And in Ayurveda too, I'm I'm very much Pitta and I loved, I read this piece it, and it didn't very, very much click for me until I went to this retreat center that um, practiced Ayurveda. A lot of the people there were directly from India, so they were very well versed. But for a Pitta, it's very good because we are fire and water to look at the sky a lot and to kind of bring that Vata in the air element in. And that is not something that I do. You know, I don't look up. I don't look at the blue sky. I'm very focused on what I need to be doing. And because Pittas can overwork, then there is less of an ability to do that, to be sky gazing. So that's something that I've brought into my practice that's very easy um, and just feels very good. Yeah, it's a great it's a great point because pitta is a more prone to anger, irritability, short temper. Now, those are the cons, but the pros are that they are born leaders, that they're overachievers, that they are, you know, people who like to put others on their back and just move forward. So there's always pros and cons to everything. But also one thing I'll say in Ayurveda is that you there's a big difference between mental constitution and physical constitution. So I am the pitta mindset for sure. I'm I mean as close as you can get to being you know, no one's fully one thing, but as close as you can get to being that pitta mindset. But my body is not pitta, right? So my body's not fully pitta. So we always have to differentiate that between the two. So the mental side of us cannot follow the diet of the dosha. And this is where a lot of people are going wrong right now. Mm. Because if you're a pitta-based mindset, then that means you should be on a predominantly cooling-based diet and maybe a little bit higher protein diet because you have robust digestion. But what if you do have gut-based problems? Or what if you're more, more of the kapha-based type physically? Well, now you're going to throw that off because the kapha is earth and water and you'll start to hold more fluid, hold more retention, and it'll make you even more sluggish. So I always like to differentiate between the two. Yes, absolutely. The meditation, the calming down, the relaxation, the float tank for the pizza. And the pop of the body type, they might have to do something different for their body. Yeah. Something else I wanted to talk about with you. I have, I have two more things, uh, but I saw a post on overexercising and kind of the signs of overexercising. And, you know, it's been such a beautiful transition and wave that we've seen group fitness take off, especially across the past four years or so, you know, with the introduction of class pass and it's kind of a social, th- it is a social thing now. And, but I, I do see a trend of women exercising a lot, men exercising a lot and the potential to be over-exercising. And I definitely have been someone in that camp at points in time in my life. So I would love to make sure that the girls of our community or the men of our community are aware of some of the symptoms and signs of over-exercising so that they can be on the lookout. And this is something because we like to take something that's very good and we like to do it to the highest level, you know, in our country. And, and, you know, unless, my life. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I was just going to say, and unless I like purposely hold my back, myself back a lot of times, I do the same thing. You know, I, I say like, oh, well, if a little of this is good, let me do a lot more. And especially if you're enjoying it, like that's a big thing too. So what I like to tell people is this, is that you're exercising for what your body needs because exercise is a supplement. So when we, we always do supplements for what we need, we do exercise for what we need. And so for a lot of people, they're not getting enough sleep. 
And so that's already one stressor in their body. Their recovery is poor. Or they're working right up till bedtime or there's a lot of light at night, which is keeping that sympathetic nervous system going. So they're not producing that melatonin. They're not getting into their 12 hours of work and 12 hours of eight hours sleep and four hours of kind of like downtime. So what happens is if we are over-exercising, we are becoming more catabolic. And what that means is that we are breaking down essentially faster than we're rejuvenating. And the signs of that are not going to be... Sorry, breaking down food, muscle. What are we breaking down? Reserves first. Sugar. Okay, so So sugar. Yep, sugar, absolutely. Vitamins and minerals. Like for example, your B vitamins buffer stress. Magnesium, potassium buffer stress. So you'll start to run through those at a faster rate. And then you'll start to move through them. And then your body will say, okay, I'm going to use what I get on food on a daily basis. But what if now you're fasting until noon, right? So you're getting less nutrients for 16 hours, less macros and micros. And then what if your exercise is first thing in the morning? Your body's running on fumes. So now it starts to tap into maybe muscle tissue. And so what happens is now we're starting to become a little bit more catabolic. Well, it taps into all protein. So we start to see our skin a little thinner, hair a little thinner, nails a little weaker. Those are some really big signs. But then also we start to see a little fatigue. Or we also begin to say, oh, this exercise is a little harder than it used to be. Or I need a little bit more sleep than I used to. I'm feeling a little groggy in the morning. All of these are signs that you're overdoing it, not just exercise-wise, but you're overdoing it in any area of your life, overworking, um, overdoing whatever it might be. Love it. Yeah. I was so glad when I realized that I was an overworker at her. It was part of my job, but then I would layer on even more I was a soul cycle instructor and then I would layer on Barry's classes. So that was quite the overworkout. Just to s- switch gears just a little bit, um, I I know you've talked about um, women preparing their bodies for um, potentially having children. And I just think it's it's so interesting because it's probably not the first thing people think about. I think people just like hope that they are able to have children and, and they just keep trying and trying. So I'd love to, I'd love to learn about, you know, how a woman can prepare, how long it takes, um, what you should be eating, doing lifestyle. It's a great question. I would say that, you know, I don't want women to ever be nervous that, okay, they didn't do any of these things and then got pregnant, right? Because I don't, we, we, we just talk about ideal world. And in an ideal world though, you would say one year ahead of time that I'm going to start to literally prepare my body to create another body inside of mine. I mean, when you think about it, it's such a fantastic thing that you're even talking about that you have to start to do maybe a little bit more thought around it. How clean do I want the environment that I'm bringing a child into? So would it be a good idea to do heavy metal testing? Would it be a good idea to look at my own vitamin and mineral stores? Because I know that my unborn baby, as it's developing, is going to take all of my vitamins and minerals, whether I like it or not. And that goes for omega-3s. And so what I typically say is, if possible, I, I, I have something called the Big Five Labs. Run the, the Big Five Labs. And you can do it with your local functional medicine doctor. Um, you can do it with an integrated health practitioner. We offer these online. But what you want to do is you want to find out what are your deficiencies Fill those back up for your own good, for your own body. Because a lot of women I work with and my wife, we have a five and seven-year-old, you will become really run down afterwards. And the reason is that your stores have been used up. And so in Ayurvedic times, in traditional Chinese medicine times, there'd be a special diet pre-pregnancy, detoxification, and then basically building the body up. There'd be a diet during pregnancy. And then there'd be a diet post-pregnancy, postnatal, 
where you would then get more iron back into the body. You would get more vitamins back into the body. Uh, there's even something called placental encapsul encapsulization now. And the only reason I don't recommend that is simply because that placenta also helped filter a lot of those heavy metals. So I don't know mm. oh, wow. how that's many fantastic. heavy metals that's might crazy. be in it. So I can't wow. tell you for sure if that's a good idea or not. But what mm. I can tell you is that before we had all of these toxins, it would have been a great idea because that is nutrient rich and it was there to feed your baby and now it can feed you as well. So, And not a lot of people like to talk about that, but the truth is that all of these things do matter and you can get yourself well, whether it's gut-based, autoimmune-based, thyroid, blood sugar within 12 months. I mean, anybody can do that. I really believe that. So if you can start 12 months ahead of time, you can rebalance the hormones, rebalance the body, and you'll be in great shape. And then also one more thing, as I can always say, and you'll never have any regrets. Like you did it, you did your mm -hmm. best. Nobody can be perfect. Nobody knows if they're going to get sick next year. But if you're doing your best, then that's all you can say is, hey, I did my best. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Last question from me. I would love to hear any you know, health, maybe routines or any research that you've come across in the past couple months that you're just really, you know, you find really profound or you find really helpful for, for your own life? So for me, I'm, I'm moving more into the longevity-based space. It will be a slow movement for me to... I'm trying to create as many different protocols and courses and teaching and all of these things so I can always have them there. And they're very standardized now. And even if someone, you're the one out of 100, everybody always thinks they're the one out of 100, you're probably not. But if you're the one out of 100, well, then we have the backup plans for those too. But longevity is the new frontier. And it is not just living longer. I don't want anyone to live longer if the quality of life is not great. So I see people being kept alive longer, but they are decrepit and they're on a dozen different pharmaceuticals and they can't live life. I remember my grandmother, I wanted to take her to Italy where her family was originally from. Couldn't do that. She could not travel or walk any real distance when she got into her late 80s. That's kind of sad. So why, yes, you get to see your grandkids and, and that's nice, but like, wouldn't it be great to still do some of the things that you once loved, not just talked about them? So one of the things that we know for sure works for overall health. Remember, so we, we have three platforms, what, weight loss, wellness, and anti-aging. Don't work on anti-aging until you've gotten well. Don't work on wellness until you've lost the weight because you will most likely get well on your way to losing the 30 or 50 pounds, or at least you'll have cleared up a lot because of what you will have to have done to get to lost the weight in a healthy way, not starving yourself, not doing all sorts of different diets that are not long-term solutions or over-exercising for one of them because how do you maintain that? So then when you get well, then you can work on anti-aging. But within all of those spaces, we're looking at intermittent fasting. And what I do is a, a, for most people, again, 99 of 100, a 12-hour overnight fast, maybe a little bit longer, a once-a-week 24-hour fast. And again, if you've never done 12 hours, you don't need to do 24. I didn't do a 24-hour fast once a week or so for about five years. And I knew about it, but it took me a little while to get there. Wow. So then what we do is a bigger fast every 12 weeks. And that's our functional medicine community detox. That is two days of really letting this process called autophagy take place. And autophagy, the, the system won the prize of, um, well, Nobel Prize in Medicine in 2016. And it showed that if you do not have more coming in, your body then can clean house like Pac-Man. It literally goes around with immune cells, eats up cancer cells, eats up dead protein, necrotic tissue, 
And it's how the traditional naturopaths and natural hygienists, they were called, help people heal. So we have that. We have a mainly a plant-based diet. Again, people argue over whether you should eat meat or not all the time, or you should be vegan or not. Argue over that 10%. Whatever you want to do with that 10% of protein, have, have at it. Like I'm not in, interested in the discussion because I don't think it matters that much. But you have to go mainly plant-based with all those antioxidants that we know help fight off inflammatory-based issues and cancer. And then don't go overboard on your calories. So do your detoxes, do your fasting. Um, and then the last one, of course, easier said than done. That's the one that I'm always working on too is reducing stress. Um, and that is one of those big factors. You have to get stress levels down because cortisol will burn out the nervous system, burn out your brain cells, burn out your hormones. So we need to always be damping that as well. Mm. And, and is there a test to test your cortisol levels for people to take or how do you, how do you test that? There's one great test. It's called the thyroid adrenal hormone test or complete hormone testing. And what it looks at, because you want to test these all in the same day. When you go to your PCP, you can't just randomly run your estrogen or cortisol levels. You want to see what they are during the day. So women should test their estrogen and progesterone levels and do this test that I'm talking about um, on the day. Well, we usually do it around day 19 to 21 of their cycle if they know their cycle. If they don't, then they can do it during a time of more symptoms. So that's going to show you your ideal estrogen to progesterone ratio. So during that test, it's a saliva test for cortisol upon waking, uh, right before lunch, right before dinner, and then before bed. And your cortisol should look like a wave. It could literally spike in the morning and then come down at its lowest point at 9.30 p.m. at bed, which I know we could talk forever, but that's why you have to get to bed by 10 o'clock. A lot of people think they're night owls, especially in Boston, New York, LA, Chicago, right? Like everyone's a night owl. Well, you're not. Like Physiologically, you are not. You did not have nocturnal vision. And if you didn't have electricity, you'd be <laughs> going to bed after it was dark and you'd wake up with the sun because you'd be outside. So like for sure, you put anybody outside in the woods or Kidian rhythm. So that's what's most natural. That's what produces melatonin at the right time, et cetera, et cetera. So at this point, I don't even remember what the question was, but hopefully I you answered, answered it. it. <laughs> <laughs> you did. <laughs> it was related to some of your favorite practices and that yes. was perfect. Yeah. Good. So good. Um, well, this has been chock full of really, really, really valuable information. Thank you so much for making the time, but we'd love for our community to take advantage of all the incredible resources that you have out there, the programs, the books, uh, the podcast, everything. So I'd love for you to plug all of those. I appreciate that. So the podcast I do is a daily podcast. It's about 20 minutes, 25 minutes long. That's the Cabral concept. And it's on iTunes. It's stephencabral.com forward slash podcast. That's for all the back shows. And that is searchable. So you can search thyroid and whatever it might be there. There are 1300 plus episodes. So that's one place that I, I like to chat with people. The other is on Instagram. That's mainly where I am. It's just my name, Stephen Cabral. And then um, all the lab tests that we spoke about, all the different gut-based tests, hormone tests, protocols are at equilibriumnutrition.com. Um, I'm sure you'll, the people will find their way around those different sites. So I appreciate you having me on. I, I thought it was a great discussion and, and thank you for uh, trying to bring this message to the world as well. Of course. Thank you. So glad. And everything will be in the show notes that you just mentioned. And thank you so much. It was a pleasure to meet you. And um I am inspired with all the information you provided. Yeah, hopefully when we're in Boston, we'll be able to uh, meet you in person. Yeah. That sure. would be great. Thanks so much, Dr. Cabral. You can find out more, connect with him at Stephen Cabral on Instagram and his book, The Rain Barrel Effect, as well as his podcast, The Cabral Concept. 
Yeah, thank you so very much. And this week's review of the week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who writes a review. It really means a lot to us. This one is from Anne Lyon. Love these ladies. Five stars. I've been listening to this podcast for just over a year now, and it's my absolute favorite. I learned so much from the wonderful guests brought on weekly, and I am constantly inspired by the topics presented. I can't thank the girls enough for all the wonderful work they are doing. This podcast has helped me get back in touch with myself and sparked my spirit when it was truly dim. Keep the sweet stuff coming. Thanks, Anne. So sweet. Thank you so much, Anne. Yeah, the reviews are just as long, longer, longer, short. They're very sweet and we really, really appreciate it. You can follow Almost 30 Podcast on Instagram at Almost 30 Podcast. All of our tour dates, you can get at almost30podcast.com slash tour. We will be in Australia. We would love to see you if you, you are in Melbourne and Sydney. We have an event with Jess Seppel who is an author, nutritionist, health coach. She has an app. And then we're also doing an event with Rosie Acosta. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot happening on almost30podcast.com. See you over there. Yeah, we love you. Bye. See you next time. 